I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hope everybody's doing well today. I want to welcome everybody to the Unimpressed podcast today. And I'm unimpressed that I haven't had this gentleman on the Unimpressed podcast until now. Uh, I've known him a while. He did some work with us. 17 and 18, 2017 and 18, uh, comedian George Gallo. Welcome, George Gallo, to the Unimpressed Podcast. Glad to have Hello, you. Hello, Unimpressed. Absolutely my pleasure. How are you today? I'm good. I'm good. And we were talking about a little piece of artwork behind him there for a joke it took him a year to do. And uh, joking. Well, this thing. <laughs> <laughs> we, won't, we, won't, we won't even put that out in the world. But George has some very unique things he does uh when i met george and something when we stopped working together i realized how auditory he was with a lot of his work with sounds and so forth uh was a big sensibility about what he he did what do you say about that now george looking back at some of the stuff you used to do no um as far as the sounds sounds was just uh it was mimicking people and and things around me sound effects it was great. I think I think it was a good younger way to be funny, get attention, still not have anything to say, but make people laugh. I think that was pretty much, you know, there's some there's some power to it. There's some leverage when you get yourself out of class as a kid mm-hmm. and you impersonate the lady in the office calling you down and you get out of class. Only mm-hmm. works once though. It only one it works once a year. You know, you're able to mimic things very quickly. I mean, is that something you recognized as a young adult? I mean... Yeah, that's that's something that I was able to... I think it was really just an effort because I would play with my toys and I would mimic the sounds that I would think that if the TV show was doing it, that's what it was doing. Uh-huh. And even if I couldn't do it with my mouth, I would emulate it with, like on a TV show, Space 1999, there was a sound that was always in the background. You didn't know. It was an ambient sound. So I always try to emulate it when I was playing with my toys and I would just rub a pencil on the corner of a desk and it would do this. And that was the sound that was going on. So as long as I could reproduce it, you know, when I could reproduce sound, I could actually write mm-hmm. I'm creating an atmosphere. Mm-hmm. It's as weird as it sounds. Did you encompass that while you're trying to come up through the ranks and, and really, cause if you just what you just said there, you know, you're trying to create an atmosphere. Did you ever pitch pitch your jokes like that to the comedy world? Absolutely. It was it was like what I was about, impersonating people, odd characters. I would actually embellish on the sound effect thing because I was so into sounds. I was trying to, and this is going back, because people bring all these current people up to me that, that go up on stage with like... Uh, Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You know, like a delay pedals and stuff like that. I'm like, I was doing that already. I mean, I was, I did mm-hmm. that years ago with delay pedals and creating songs with delay pedals. And it wasn't exactly to time but I would create like songs and, and all that. And the thing was at a certain point, I didn't want to be known as a sound comedian uh-huh. or sound. So I, I kind of backed off for that. And then years later, I just, I left all that whole body of material behind and people like it. They always tell me to do it, but I just don't want to, I don't want to get into it. So I'm not that person anymore. It's not like a person who did porn. I'm not that person anymore. Really. I'm not. Well, what did <laughs> but, you how, if you're an auditory guy, I mean, maybe you t- should have dove in it deeper. I mean, you know, you know, the business is weird. I mean, you know, your angle in the business is different than my angle of coming up through the ranks. So like Joe Rogan was talking about me on the podcast, he remembers all the crazy shit that I would do. And he was mm-hmm. talking about doing a reverse crap out of my mouth with the banana. I mean, yeah. that was early on, you know, <laughs> Yeah, I was, I was in my twenties doing that. And it's the thing that stands out in his head. Yeah. It's nuts. But at the same time, I'm like, I'm going to be 53 years old doing a reverse crap out of my mouth. <laughs> well, <laughs> wouldn't mind. I mean, I could do it. I just don't want to be that whacked out uncle. Uh, you mentioned Rogan. What was your experience with Rogan coming up to the ranks? A lot of us all worked together. I mean, Joe and I would do a lot of shows and like bars and all that. And at the time, Joe, Joe had a very radical, rough, you know, in your face kind of show. And he always he had a manager around with him, uh, Jeff Sussman, a great guy. And we would go around. Well, actually, I would meet him at the shows. And Joe was always closing. I was featuring because people couldn't take 30 minutes of my crazy shit. Uh-huh. So they ended up, you know, somebody like Joe would close. And Joe and I would hit a lot of places together. Well, meet each other there anyway. We didn't travel together. Mm-hmm. But uh, And then we did Caroline's Comedy Hour. And, you know, for me to do eight minutes of my bizarre humor was ideal for TV. Mm-hmm. And it got a great reception and, and Joe was funny because he was always so, you know, somewhat hostile. He's like, I could follow Gal. Fuck him, fuck him. You know, he was so bad. So they, they stopped. They paused the show for about a half an hour, and then they resumed with a skit, and then they put him on. He was always very challenging, you know, mm-hmm. but a good guy. Awesome dude. Awesome dude. And we all came up together. You know, me, Brewer, Gaffigan, Attell. It was all the same common playing field. I saw something, you know, with a buddy of mine, uh, Chris Case. Oh, that was Caroline's. Chris was on that show. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was Chris. me, Chris, Joe Rogan, Tom something. I can't remember him. Another funny dude. All funny guys. Yeah. Oh, Warren. I can't remember the names, but there's, there's an intro to it. And it was uh, a lot of good guys. I, they were West Coast guys, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah. Chris Case was. Yeah. yeah. Chris is a showrunner now. And he, he Chris is actually doing uh, Bill Maher's podcast. Uh, I haven't talked to him in a little while, but I just remember that clip. I thought it was you. Uh, Chris and Joe Rogan were on that because uh, I was it on was it on NBC or something like that? 
That one was A&E. A&E, okay. That show was A&E. That show, let me tell you, man, I got a lot of mileage out of that that episode. That episode, I was between agents. I was working for an agent. They gave me a year contract, and then they didn't do anything with it. And then I got with the new manager, and he got we got a few deals out of that tape. Mm-hmm. A, few, a few really good deals with Disney and Fox. Yeah, it's just a different time, man. TV's changed so much. I mean, that's that's how it goes. Well, it's three decades of this lunacy. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, we spoke about that on the phone the other day. And, and now that I think about it, you think about Rogan and you, I mean, y'all have very similar sensibilities in a way. I mean, yeah. uh, belief system, tone is somewhat in the same same vein, if you will. Uh, which is interesting. It's maturity. It's maturity. It's really what it is. I mean, because I wasn't back in back then in the nineties. I wasn't like that. I didn't want to believe anything. You know, I, I just I didn't have a voice in my personal life. I might have, but you're in your twenties. Grew up in Long Island, right? And uh, when you know, going to school in Long Island, and so forth. Was there someone in the comedy world that you like? Uh, you looked up to? Like, was your somewhat of a mentor that you followed, uh, old school guy, uh, when mm. you were a kid? You know, the eighties was a big time for being a kid and all the crazy influences that were out there. Mm-hmm. All these nutty, you know, comedians, uh, that was so interesting and had character, you know, they had, it, that was, that was so exciting when I look back on it. So, you know, coming from that, you thought maybe those were just influences. I mean, like Robin Williams was the big one. Robin Williams was a really big influence. Michael Winslow from Police Academy. You never knew anything about him. You just knew he, there was no internet, so you couldn't find out anything about these guys. Mm-hmm. Except for, you know, uh, Mork and Mindy and a couple other films that uh, Robin Williams had done, but he was always, you know, on point, always sharp, moving quick. And and uh, and then you hear, you know, through the grapevine that he, you know, s- steals a lot of material and all that stuff, you know, but you really can't. You know, he has his own brilliant side to him. People like Joan Rivers also. Joan Rivers was uh, an influence in Don Rickles. That That's like the other side of me. You know what I mean? There's like another mm-hmm. side that it's like where I grew up, you had to insult people to survive, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is totally true. So I think that's where the Don Rickles and Joan Rivers part comes from. And for a woman, I could rest on her being funny. She's just... You look at her, you don't see a gender. You just see, you know, she's funny. Joan Rivers was hysterical. Uh And uh, coming into it, sometimes, like, my early sets, I would do some of the weird sound effect stuff, and then there would be the things where I bust on people. And busting on people would be from Joan Rivers. And she had a a person that she would beat up on. And there's always some token fat chick that she would beat up on. I don't know who it was. So I picked Delta Burke in the early days. And then I'd put my own spin on it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd say something like, you know, backwards hopscotch with Delta Burke. And then I'd be like, boop, 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 boop. And then I'd do backwards hopscotch. Just some kind of whacked out, twisted thing. There was no, I, even as a young person, you didn't care about the boundaries. You said whatever you wanted to say. Yeah. Because you were a nobody. And my mom always told me, don't worry about anybody. They don't pay your bills. Only you do. Yeah. So. That's why I never cared. I was I was just uh, did whatever I wanted to do. But those were the two. The, the, that was a, the parallel influences there. Robin Williams, Michael Winslow, Don Rickles, and John Rivers. 
Well, Michael, the most yeah, Michael Winslow was an auditory guy. That's a name you don't haven't heard in a long, long time on Police yeah. Academy. And those movies yeah. were great, you know, with his sounds and just uh, so funny, well shot. You know, the the moments where he does like the machine gun in the police department. You know, for effect, they threw papers up in the air and then they cut to the the cop behind the counter and he's, "Will you cut that out?" And just you know, just the the tiny elements of directing always floored me. Because mm-hmm. it makes a moment, and people take that for granted. Someone had to make a choice to throw the paper up in the air for mm-hmm. extra effect, and then cut um, one of the greatest moments that really that I discovered Michael Winslow on was part of the element why I liked being weird. I did. I, I enjoyed being weird because it was funny. Weird is funny. Yeah. And Cheech and Chong, I think it was next movie Tommy Chong directed, and there's a scene in there where he's visiting social services. And Tommy Chung is there. He's waiting. And there's three things going on in a scene that I never see in films. And I, I wish I could talk to Tommy Chung again because I, maybe I will. I used to see him all the time at Governor's here in Long Island. Mm-hmm. And he'd just be walking around. And I never, I wasn't really a celebrity gawker. I never cared about it. I could see someone that was on like, ah, I really don't care. And I, I should have asked him about that. But anyway, it was an influential scene where Tommy's in a social services office. And he's waiting for Cheech, who's trying to get his girlfriend. And she's, you see her behind him and, and Cheech in a, in a window. And he's trying to, like, get it on with her in the office. And then Tommy's sitting in the middle of Michael Winslow, who's that crazy black guy, in case no one ever knows. He, he does all the sound effects and stuff. And yeah. he's playing. He's doing all weird stuff to himself. Yeah. And then to the left is an old man laughing. At a guy dozing off who's like in a horror, like a, a heroin thing. He just keeps dozing off with the cigarette. So you got these three, one, two, three things going on, and Tommy's witnessing all of it. It's one of the best things I've ever seen in a film. Uh-huh. Like just to choreograph all of that, and then all of a sudden the cops break in. What the hell's going on here? And then it comes to a, a climax. But it was just awesome. That was such an insp- And I could never remember what film it was in. And I saw it a couple of years ago. I was like, that's what I like, that type of visual, three things going on at once, great stuff. What what town did you grow up in the Medford? Where did you grow up? What town did you grow up in in Long Island? Uh, I grew up in Lake Grove. Lake Middle Grove. Grove. Yeah, Lake Grove is right next to Center Reach. That's the school I went to, Center Reach High School. Now, Italian family, Italian mother, Italian dad. You know, when you go through and you've, you're growing up, right, as a kid, right, and there's the normal – the normal sensibilities, and then there's you start realizing these other sensibilities that makes you who you are. How did your family respond to that when they started seeing like you had this this talent in a way? Yeah, they would never look at it as a talent. They would just look at it like you know, <laughs> <laughs> they were like, "What? Like the there's something? Wrong with like there's something wrong? Yeah, there's something <laughs> wrong with them. You know, it was oh, always George. like that." It, it went on. Well, friends and family call me Sonny, so they always called me Sonny. And I would go over to my aunt's house where my two cousins were. And the year that we all got tape recorders was the year I discovered I was a little. I was definitely different. You know, the, my my two cousins got tape recorders. I got tape recorders. These little these things you press record and play, and you would just record something, right? And yeah. it was a serious looking device. It didn't look like it didn't look like anything. You know, it was 1976. And next thing you know, what I'm making these stories with old people on it and voices, 
my, my cousins aren't doing it. Yeah. I never knew of anyone to do it. And I was always attracted to talking. Even when I was like little, I would make up all these characters to talk to. Then I made them, when I was going to tape recorder, I was like, I could do these voices and stories. And yeah. I made stories. I mean, they were kind of juvenile, but they were really cool. You know, Mr. Crap and stuff, you know, that was his name. And, uh, and then I realized these, these are funny stories. They're really, and the, my cousins loved them. And, uh, and then you could document things yeah. that are going on. You know, you can record people, you can trick people into saying shit, and then you got to hit record and play. That's what I was like, this is amazing. You know, it was amazing to capture it. And, yeah. I, and back then we didn't have anything else except for that to capture anything live. We couldn't capture video because you, you, you needed like 10,000 bucks before the camera. Did you ever look at your your bloodline or anything like that? And like maybe a grandfather, great grandfather that maybe had some, where this made this talent and these sensibilities came from. Was there anybody else in your lineage that you know of that might have had where this came from? I don't I don't know anything about that. My my middle son Thomas. Uh, I got four kids and they're older. The three boys and my daughter. I see them all the time. We're all very close. My middle son Tom. He's twenty three. He dives more into that. He's a very, very like wants to know where he came from. Mm -hmm. My mom was uh, the kind of person she didn't want me talking to people on my father's side because she thought they were all losers and lunatics and all that. Yeah, which really wasn't fair. But you know, my mom's she's her own thing. I speculated that part of my background was also German, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, and I, I prided myself on the German part because they really uh, embraced technology and. I mean, the Romans did as well, but I think that's why I'm kind of split down the middle with what I do. I do a lot of creative stuff, just extremely creative. And then I do extremely technical stuff like architectural design and, and all yeah. that. And, yeah. and I enjoy both of it. As long as it's intricate, it's complete, and it's done as best it can be. It's That's what's good for my mind to keep going. I don't think my, my family from an old school understood me. It's hard to understand a kid who's like that. And I wasn't like an obnoxious brat like you see a lot of these kids today that mm -hmm. jump up and down and get crazy. If I would have jumped up and down, I would have got my ass kicked, like mm -hmm. handed to me. I had a very strict household. And when they said, stop, you stopped or mm -hmm. you were dead. Well, you were dead. <laughs> That's it, man. No, I feared. I feared. Feared my Italian parents. Italian family. <laughs> oh, yeah. You didn't mess around. But when I got outside, yeah. that was open game, man. That was open game. <laughs> That's why we stayed out as kids from morning till night. And you didn't yeah. eat all day, stayed out. And I was too busy throwing roof shingles and ice cream trucks, putting roadblocks in the road. I mean, I, I did everything. It was just not, but it was funny to me. That's yeah. what it was. All this stuff was, I wasn't trying to hurt people, you know, and it was cause and effect type stuff too. Like an apartment building, I'd throw a rock on the other side to see if it would hit somebody. I didn't want to hurt anybody. I just, I was watching too many Bugs Bunny cartoons. Yeah. That's really what it was. <laughs> yeah. I thought that shit was funny. And well, I wanted a real life version of it. Well, in a way, I mean, from the psychology of this, and I'll, I'll talk about my experience, thinking about the psychology of this, the Western world, I think, in a way, didn't realize some of these talents and, and people. This came from really a pure source, you know, and I think it comes from a pure source. You probably had a strong bloodline of some very mm. intelligent people, you know, and right. obviously those those percentages, uh, you know, when that, that pure source and that bloodline evolves over time, obviously those percentages go different ways. And I think in a mm. way, Western society, 
hasn't handled things like that properly. It's almost like they've suppressed it. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Instead of, at instead that of maybe, time. yeah, instead of maybe diving into it, right. Diving into mm-hmm. it and seeing what can really, what the benefit is from it, you know? Right. right. Um, and that's something I realized studying human behavior. I mean, basically being on social media, I study human behavior, you know, 12 hours a day. And if I have enough numbers, in front of me, I can, it's kind of scary that I can sometimes determine human behavior. And when I, and then when I got into, I kind of got thrown into the comedy game and found a model by discovery and dealing started when, when I started dealing with comedians such as yourself and so forth, you know, I made a lot of mistakes myself on how I managed the comedians. I understood that the, the talent, there were some high sensitivities are, but understanding the different types of high sensitivities from comedians, I did not recognize. And I, you know, I probably would, now that I've been through the game six, seven years now, I kind of try to handle each person differently because high sensitivities and, 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 and how they respond to things is, is a big deal. Um, it's a different time, John. See, the thing is also, you got to understand, none of us are trained to be parents. None of us are trained to be managers. So as a manager, you're supposed to do business. You're supposed to manage and lead a group of people, which you did effectively well. And a lot of these people need like a father. That's what it's like. And if you don't provide that structure and all these other starry-eyed, loosey-goosey people don't have a structure, it's going to be a problem. I mean, because they, they get all full of themselves. They get full of the moment. And there's no boundaries, just like children. I mean, you can realize the sensitivity of comedians. And, you know, it's hard to kind of look at them because they're all kind of silly. And, I, you know, I, I spoke to you before. That's why I'd rather straddle doing both. Because mm-hmm. being in the real world grounds me as a person. As yeah. Humans need grounding, you know. Yeah. yeah. They could have kids and stuff like that. So somebody like you who's coming into this as a manager, you know how hard it is to be a manager? Yeah, it's it, it's not easy. An effective manager handling the talent and then handling their direction and then handling because they're going to want to do what they want to do anyway. And they don't have a lot of them. They don't have structure based lives. Yeah. They'll drink Coca-Cola in the morning and then wake up two in the afternoon. That's anti everything. It makes no sense. So you have to corral that. So you, mm-hmm. you can't you can't blame yourself for making mistakes as a man. You know, mm-hmm. you got to lead your family. You got to. That in itself is leading, and then you got to come into a bunch of. I mean, you know, a lot of the times the way we get here as comedians is through utter dysfunction. So mm-hmm. with dysfunction, there's usually chaos. There's there's a, there's a lot of uh, non-structure elements that just do whatever they want to do. And hey, look, I'm guilty of that, but I could reflect and say, hey, I changed. Somebody like mm-hmm. you's got to run a show, like mm-hmm. not just a show, but a massive show, not mm-hmm. a little show with thirty people in a room. You're talking five thousand people. And yeah. then you got to get this thing, a lot of to coordinate. And you're an old school guy in a lot of ways. So it's yeah. either your way or, hey, look, these are the parameters. And that's where being, you know, a man or a woman, especially our age, okay, we got the rules. That's it. We get it. You know, yeah. but inside the grumblings of the comedians, you know, a pack of comedians, there's always some kind of mischief, silliness, gossip, nonsense, whatever. You got that element on top of it. So now you're managing all these people, coexisting, co-working, collaborating together. It's, it's, you can only do the best you could do. That's it. Yeah. It's a manager. I mean, it's like being a father. You blame yourself for a lot of shit. Next thing you know, it, you know, they're like, Hey dad, how's it going? You know what I mean? It's just, yeah. 
It is what it is. It's hard to believe. I mean, I think we've done five, I don't know, or I've done five, over 500 shows in six years. It's a lot of shows. Absolutely. You know, and you look and back. the capacity of that is incredible, dude. It really is. Yeah. It's real entertainment. Yeah. I mean, we did, uh, you know, remember we did that uh, Texas run uh, with you. We did Houston, we did Dallas, and we did um, San Antonio. Yeah, San Antonio, and we did two pretty big theaters then. That one in Dallas was sold out. What was that theater there? I think Houdini had been on the stage, and we were very fortunate to do what we did, I think. Very, very fortunate. Big time. It was a beautiful thing. I mean, any comedian would. I mean, look, I know know your guys, they've been doing it a few years or whatever, but, like, when you're doing it 30 years and then you walk into a place like that, you're you're grateful. You kiss the floor. You go, wow. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because what you, I mean, look, look, I, I got no reason to blow smoke up your rear end, but I'll tell you right now, what you put together, I don't think people realize it. Like when you back off from it, yeah. if someone saw what I saw that whole thing, for all those venues, for the people screaming like it was the Beatles, I mean, I swear, there's nothing like it out there, dude. You don't see that yeah. kind of fanfare at at a lot of shows. I'm, gonna, yeah. I'm not going to name names, but they're well-known names. You know, I, I could see why you would be like, holy cow, this is crazy. And I think industry, too, I think there's a way if you establish a tone, right? And you can you can t- continue to regenerate that tone, right? The tone is always going to work, but it's, it's sometimes industry will lose interest. You know what I'm saying? They lose interest. They, they drop their interest because... Because they didn't, you know, it's not doing the same thing or whatever. But when you recycle the tone and recycle the fans, mm-hmm. it still does the same thing. That's one thing I learned in social media is, is like, even though, you know, you may lose fans, right? You're losing fans on they may not like this and may not like this. <coughs> if, you continue to, if you continue to step and repeat, right, even though you're peeling off people, that may get upset or whatever that are fans and you're stepping repeat that same tone, that tone will work again and again and again. And I, I think um, a lot of people need to take notice of that with their careers, you know, because I think sometimes, mm. you know, financially or, or family circumstance, living circumstances, throw people off that track. Right. Oh, sure. Throw people off that track and they're like, well, it didn't work. It didn't do this. Well, you know, you just got distracted, you know, I think you got distracted, but I think, 100%. you know, if you have a tone that works, I think that tone will always work. And that's something I've, I've realized as well. And I don't think a lot of people in industry realize that either. All right. Well, John, the way you talk is very scientific and, you know, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to knock it at all. It is it's scientific. The analysis is scientific. There is a science behind it. That's black and white. That's it. It's it's pure observation. People that would know what you're doing, it's a social, it's a social study, and yeah. it's also a cycle study in a business, in a, you know, in a, in a in a platform, well, even a platform like social, like a social media, like Facebook. So you know, again, there's there's layers to what you're doing, and your conversation you're having with me, I get it, I understand it because yeah. my mind works that way. Trying to talk to people like this. They're not, people are, I'm going to tell you straight up, people are dumb today because they're fed so much information mm-hmm. that they, that they, 
they know that they can seek it and they can get fed. It's like having fast food, you know, mm-hmm. open till midnight. They can go anywhere and be fed and they don't relish it. So, you know, anybody could stop at a Taco Bell, eat at midnight. I'm like, oh, that was a great, whatever I had, burrito, blah, blah, blah. They don't remember. They can be fed information unless they're starving for that information. And mm-hmm. it's not, it, it, it's critical. People aren't going to give a shit. Mm-hmm. And you know what you know. And that's like something that could sit in a book and then somebody years down the road will go, oh, wow, I finally get it. Mm-hmm. That, you're 100% right. I've yeah. been doing this 30 years. And people can say, oh, you, you can't still enjoy it after 30 years. I'm sure I can because I'm a different person. The, 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 the entire business has changed, evidently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The people in it, the people have changed. There's a new set of eyes. There's a new generation of kids that go, oh, I'm no longer a contemporary with 25-year-olds. With 35 year olds, I'm now with the 50, and now the kids that are younger than me enjoy me like I'm some crazy father or uncle. And yeah. people my age enjoy. So there's things that, that you create different um, vantage points and different perspectives based on time. Combine that with some of your elements that you're talking about. You've got you know an interesting puzzle to put together that that can totally win. And the consistent point is if everyone goes, who's nine inch nails? You know, Nine Inch Nails just keeps swimming around and he puts out records here and there and people love his, his old stuff, Trent Reznor. Next thing you know, it, it just, it just comes back into the feed and you start seeing it. It's like, this is some cool shit. Yeah. It's cool shit. Cause you're used to seeing this terrible, you know, billboard top 40 of lowest common denominator junk music that's out there. People mature. They don't listen to that junk anymore. But when you have good high end, consistent material and delivery, People come back to that and they go, that's like a song from the 50s or the 70s. It just yeah. works. And yeah. that's what it is. And it, no. it's the maturing also of the followings out there. It's funny. You know, it's funny we're on this topic is like last night with me and Mimi, we went to Mariana's uh, football game. She's a cheerleader for here locally at Lucy Beckham High School. And, and when we were coming home, we stopped and got something to eat. And we stopped at this bar and we we're having this conversation about – generations as a society were so quick to create these classes like generation X, generation Z, whatever. Mm. And I says, you know, why are we so quick to create this persona or this ideology with different time periods of people? And I said, when you look around the bar, everybody's doing the same shit, you know, Mm. everybody's doing the same thing at the bar they were doing 20 years ago that they're doing now. Everybody's doing this. And this is a weird analogy saying everybody's doing the same thing at the bar, but the only difference is I think it's choices, right? You have more choices to choose from is the only difference. People are the same regardless. They have the same sensibilities. They have the same uh, wants and needs, but when you throw in more choices, right, we got to categorize those things because we have more choices as human Mm -hmm. beings, right? So now let's take those choices and let's put those choices within the young, younger mindset, right? So things are sped up so fast. Kids think they, and kids have all these choices because of technology and, and things they see all the time. They have all these choices. So Mm -hmm. they think they have to keep up with society, which makes them make bad choices. So if they put 20 things up in the air, right? And realize that, hey, you don't have to keep up with society. 
let's just focus. Let's find those three avatar on those three choices I need to make for my life and focus on those and mm. not worry about keeping up with society. Everything will be fine. You know, I, I mean, that's just something I thought of last night because everybody's doing the same damn thing. It's just there's well, a lot right. more shit to choose from. And you'll say that, and all that makes sense. And I think that's a great opening statement to breaking it down because then inside that you've got a lot of the, uh, the younger people want to be older and they want to run everything. The older people, 40, 50, they are midlife crises in their head and they want to be younger. So they are running away from young people choices impacting society. There's a lot of everything's young this, young that, and it seems like nobody fits in. There's a lot of businesses, entertainment business especially, they cater to the younger people and they cater to what they want and they surround themselves with all the younger people. But the sophistication, there are things that are missing that people are not embracing. They're, embra they're embracing the recklessness of the youth. They're embracing the attractiveness of the youth, facelifts everywhere, tit lifts everywhere. They're, they're not embracing sophistication. Mm -hmm. They're not embracing, they're not embracing um, class mm -hmm. uh, and development of personalities. That is sexy in itself. They're embracing all the physical, visual nonsense of youth. That's mm -hmm. why you got 700 facelifts for, with the Kardashian family and all that because the visual is what's important. What she mm -hmm. says is nothing. You, know? you get sophistication and sexy out there. Mm -hmm. That's that's 40 to 50 right there. I don't care what yeah. anybody says. And that's why there's, everyone's looking from young people to older people are looking at the same bar. It's the same bar. But you know what? You, the older people have to set the tone of what the bar is, not the youth. The youth, you got your thing. The youth should aspire to be us, not us aspire to be them. That's why you see so many middle-aged women and men bad choices, stupid haircuts, trying to look younger. And they've got no words of wisdom. They got nothing to say. Yeah. And they don't even keep, and they don't keep composure. They don't keep class. Instead, they act like the kids that they got to, I got an ex that fights with the kids. I go, what are you doing fighting with kids? I don't fight with the kids. I'm the yeah. boss. I'm the man. You don't have my experience. Yeah. I don't have to be them. They got to aspire to be me. Yeah. You know, we're an elder. Yeah. Hey, you're 45. You're an elder. It's the way yeah. it is. Yeah. You gotta act like, you gotta lead. You gotta lead. Well, and and you talk about adults too, and I think adults to some extent are naive. And we won't e I don't even want to get on any type of topics or anything, but you know, when you talk about how adults seem to be feeling because of technology, they they act like if they're on a podium somewhere talking about whatever, talking shit about this person, right? And then that person's talking shit about this person. That narrative is very uh, damaging to me, to society, because that person mm. is talking shit about the other person and the person is talking shit about the other person and they're trying to hold their position on that podium. Do they not realize they don't have kids? Mm. You know what I'm saying? What type of effect when this narrative is being presented around the world, what type of effect does that have on society? You know, it cheapens society even it more, does. you know, instead of standing up and saying, hey, let's say the right thing here. Let's quit beating people up, you know, to try to hold a position because we think we're getting older and this is what we have to do in this day and time mm. because of knee jerk reactions, right? It's emotional knee jerk reactions. Emotional. Yeah. yeah. And that's, 
that's where all the like in my process i had to send you the process uh that's where all the mistakes happen and we're making a lot of mistakes right now because we're all only operating off emotions and we're not operating off facts that's i mean that's that's basically what you're you're saying in in so many ways you know that's right because with emotional vulnerabilities okay here's what happens you're looking at you're looking at the younger people like they're going to come up it's like looking at the people who come from central and Mexico, Central America, Mexico. Oh, we better do this because they're going to take over. And uh, well, you're looking inward and you're creating some type of reaction, some emotional based reaction. Same thing about the kids. Oh, we got, we got to be younger. We got to be that. We got, Hey, in my twenties, I wanted to get it on with 50 year old ladies. You know, I thought it was because they're sophisticated. I can't touch that. Now, mm -hmm. if you look at a lot of the 50 year old women, 45 year old women, we just don't, maybe it's up here. Maybe it's up in the North. I don't know. Everybody's in a midlife crisis. They're all cheating on, you know, guys and gals or whatever. It's a terrible thing. I think it's a number in up North is a numbers game. You got more people. You're going to perpetuate. You're going to perpetuate those ideas because there's just more numbers and more choices. There's the, mm -hmm. there's the choice, the word choice that comes back into play. It's the right? illusion of choices. It's an illusion of choices because at the end of the day, Popeye's fried chicken tastes like the same other fried chicken. It's all the yeah. same thing. If if you can have a conversation, and look, this might seem like a really like deep conversation. You're going to get two views because people are going to be like, what in the <laughs> world are they talking about? They're talking about adult shit. No, it's 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 like if I can't have a conversation with, with a person, not like yeah. this, but, you know, with the same layers and, and engagement, who's out there? There's no one out there to talk to. And that's the yeah. biggest thing, you know? I mean, my son says to me the other day, he's like, oh, Dad, all you want is a, a girl to sit by the fire with and talk with and, uh, and and all that stuff. I said, it's either that or if my kids aren't, you know, if my kids are around, I'd rather hang out with them. You know, I mean, yeah. and my kids know how to have conversation like I do because I groomed them that way. You know, yeah. You're a guy. You're, you're a deep dude. You're into a lot of analytics. You're into – you're constantly changing. You're constantly growing. You, you're you're – you're, you're managing people. You got insight. I mean, to find people like that, it's rare, man. It's rare. Yeah. yeah. And who could and who could produce? Don't forget that. Yeah. You know. So, yeah. like what I was saying before, people are so threatened by what they're not. You know, they go, "Oh my God, the Mexicans in Central America, they're gonna take over." Oh, the kids, they're coming up behind me. I gotta, I gotta be like a kid. I gotta keep up. And I, no, you just gotta be you. You've got to be steadfast. You've got to be stable. You've mm -hmm. got to be awesome. You constantly have to reinvent yourself. I mean, I'm doing this a long time. You're doing it a long time. You, you've reinvented and changed, you know, path and and, uh, and direction so many times. Yeah. People don't realize they got to do that. You you got to look at you. You got to go, I suck today. What can I make better about myself? They don't do yeah. that. They just go, you know what? To change me, I'm going to get a facelift and I'm going to go get a new car. And I'm going to go, and there's so many people discontent. And I hate the word happy because happy is just a quick emotion. Like, <laughs> I'm so happy you're all here. And then it's over. Content, yeah. content with your path, content with what you're building, the people around you. They don't, they don't process like that because all they see is images and appearances and shit. There's yeah. a lot to this conversation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know. mean, it's, uh, yeah, it's uh, definitely evolved. I mean, I'm, I feel like I just want to have a voice. You know, I want to still, you know, I still want to do the shows and things like that, but I want to, I want to put a voice out there that, you know, 
can help change things a little bit because I think we've reached a ceiling of nonsense, you know, and um, hopefully there's some, hopefully the, the younger and younger generation can, can change that. And I think there's a generation that's not, that's going to come up that is not going to put up with certain things. You know, I think, and I don't even want to use the word generation people. I'll just say people, uh, people need to start thinking smarter, you know, and, and just thinking about what life is in, in, in some ways and talking, going back to the funny stuff. I mean, what yeah, are yeah. you, I mean, like, you know, you talk about your tone, your tone. I think, you know, when you throw in the financial piece to the guy with four kids, you know, I think your tone can always resonate. Right. So, I mean, yeah. what are you trying to do uh, in the future? What is, what's going to make George happy? I, I'll, I'll tell you right now. Um, I, I like the idea of what I'm doing. You know, I've, I'm doing this 30 years and some people go, are you a success? Are you not a success? You know, and there's a, I think there's a couple of things that gauge success. You know, looking back it the fact that you sustained through all that, the fact that you reinvented through all of that, you know, uh, the fact that, you still enjoy the intricacies and that you didn't fall apart because of it and stabilize. It built all the character going forward. You know, that's, that's something to be proud of. Some people have nothing to be proud of. You know, I look at all the great breaks I've had, you know, and I also look at like, well, at a certain point you go, I never really was lucky. I put myself out there and I took a lot of risks. It's happened every decade, not just like marginal nonsense stuff. Like, you know, doing comedy at a pizza place, but like, you know, big things have happened every decade and I'm grateful for that. So going forward, especially at the 2020, I'm very grateful that I was not working as a comedian in 2020. I just was working like two or three jobs, engineering jobs, making money, getting back on my feet, man, because I had a, I had a rough patch after, believe it or not, 08, 9 and 10, I had to file bankruptcy and I'm still rebuilding from that. The great thing is when you got money in your pocket from working and everything, you go, that's not my number. I don't, I'm not doing that. No, that's not my number. Yeah. And, um, and you got pride in that, like a working class man, not just a desperate comedian. There's a lot of desperation in comedy. I hate it. Yeah. I don't like it. And all the comedians know this. I talk like this. I go, dude, you're too, you're too desperate. It's sickening. You know, you can have a good act, but if you're, if you're desperate, it's just gross. So going forward, there's always something new to do because if I'm at my best now, I mean, you know, I don't look like a young guy, but I, I can always do better or great things because what comes out of here, what comes out of here, what's coming out of here is much more processed, achieved, and it's got great experience on it. Failing experiences, mm-hmm. winning experiences. So going forward can only be fun and exciting as long as it's money in my pocket, you know, yeah. that because I can't create if I'm desperate, scared, and urgent going forward. The more money I got in my pocket, the more I can produce and create, you know, fun, engaging shit, you know, that's really the goal. The goal also, I mean, a lot of people probably know I was more, you know, I had a very political leaning right audience. And even though I'm kind of a center right and I don't belong to a party, I don't want to be a part of that at all. I never wanted to be a part of that. It just accidentally happened like you know, Dorothy landing on the witch and then killed the witch. And all of a sudden all these people love her. And she's like, what's going on here? That's the same thing that happened to me. I made a video and that's what happened. Otherwise I hate it all. I hate all the politics. I hate all the liars. That's why I've been leaning heavy on all the innocent, mindless stuff I used to create and produce because that's, 
that's like the life and blood of a kid. You just mm-hmm. go out there and you do whatever. The world is your playground. So yeah. that's always the goal is to, to keep the world as my playground. If entertainment and comedy and all that shit happens to come with it, mm-hmm. then fine. That's the flow we go with. And you gotta, I, I want to be, I want to have a smile on my face and I want to generate that smile on other people's faces. Cause that's, that's, that's the good fellowship that you want to have. Mm-hmm. You got a little less air on that bike trick, though. What? <laughs> you, got <a> little, <laughs> you got a little less air on that bike trick. <laughs> I haven't done. A, I haven't what? done. A, <laughs> I haven't done a backflip in you know how many years? Like four years. So I used to do BMX too. So that's what he's talking about. Yeah, I, yeah. I saw the. Uh, I don't know. Did you do a recent video? I saw a recent video. I saw from what, like one. There's a little less air now. <laughs> BMX uh, freestyle guy in the 80s. Oh, this is a great story. And, um, yeah, I used to compete, and I uh, toured the country and doing all that other stuff. Usually what I do is I try and do whatever I do the best I can do it. I don't really yeah. dabble. There's no dabbling. Dabbling is a waste of time. A good friend of mine, Dave Mira, passed away a few years ago, back in 16. And uh, so I got some nieces up in uh, Syracuse, New York niece, cousin, sisters up there. They're at Dave Mira's um, house. Now, Dave Mira, if you don't know who he is, he had a video game named after him. He was the top guy in BMX, skate parks, yeah. all that shit, X Games, the, the best, the best. Yeah. You know, won all the years that he was in it. And then he passed in 16. And uh, turns out he's my nephew. And we were wow. like friends. Turns out he's my nephew. Wow. I, I go, hold on. Let me back this up. I go, and then my cousin, Shauna, she laid it out for me. She goes, oh, yeah, he's he's the – I forget what she said. But I go, well, uh, he's my nephew. He's not even my cousin. He's my nephew. And, wow. dude, crazy. So I rode with him. I was 21. He was, like, 13 or 14. So this is, like, a seven-year split. And we never even knew it. And he used to say, funny, this gallows up in Syracuse, too. I'm like – I just shrugged it off, like, oh, okay, whatever. Never put yeah. it together. Never put it together. It's crazy. Find out after he passed away. But that's BMX. So small so world. Do you, are you doing any live shows anytime soon? Uh, this summer I did a whole bunch of shows. I just made a choice. I said, hey, let's do a summer of George. And yeah. uh, I did a whole bunch of shows locally on Long Island. I didn't want to travel. And uh, I was happy to say, man, like they were they were all at capacity. It was I got to tell you, it was just such a great summer. Besides the shows, all this wonderful stuff was going on. Seeing old friends. It, was just, it really was a summer that was supposed to be meant to be a great summer. Oh, just to see all the cars outside the place. I was really happy to be doing it again. But it's not enough time to do a lot of stand-up. Like, mm-hmm. once I'm in a groove, do, like when I was with you, we're doing a lot of shows, I can start writing again. You know, you just you get, yeah. you get comfortable doing what you're doing. Then you start creeping out, creating new shit. And then you're just... You know, based on the experience. Once you start living it, you can do it again. This is how it is. People won't understand, but that's how it is. Well, make content. You know, we can, we got a way to distribute it. Yeah, no, totally make content. I just made fun of a a mall closing the other day. I was uh, last week. This one mall was on its last leg for years. And uh, I just walked through it and I just started doing like a whole thing about the mall. People, people are going to watch it because they go, that mall? You know, and there's all these accidental things that happen, John. You know, mm-hmm. that just, you're like, how the hell did that happen? You know, like someone steps in it and says something funny or one of those great moments 
other than that, though, it's good to see you killing it, brother. Yeah, good to see you. We'll talk again, and I appreciate you coming on the on the show. And my pleasure. Uh, this has been comedian George Gallo. I'm John Edmonds Cosma, the CEO of Bang Productions. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 